Hello and welcome to Loud and Clear. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today, Annalie Leptison. Now, before we get into the interview and I introduce our guest, I just want to apologize for my voice. I've held off recording this introduction as long as possible until my voice returned. I'm currently recovering from COVID. Today, it is what it is. I recorded this interview a few weeks ago before I got sick, and so thankfully, the audio for that is great. <laughs> but I just wanted to give you a heads up. Annalie Leptison is a PhD student in the Interdisciplinary Music Research Program at the University of Ottawa, where her studies with Dr. Jada Watson promote an interdisciplinary musicological approach to issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion in music industries and music education. Prior to beginning her PhD, Annalie completed a Master's of Music and Piano Performance at the University of Ottawa, where she studied with David Jobert and primarily performed solo piano works by women. She holds her ARCT and piano performance from the Royal Conservatory of Music. Annalie has presented her research at conferences in Canada, the US, Australia, and the UK. Her work has been published in several journals. She's a columnist for The Leader magazine, The Hymn, and Canadian Mennonite. Annalie is an experienced music educator and is particularly interested in using music picture books as an educational resource for children to learn about women in music history. With the holiday season, kids are home from school, and it's often a great time to be able to connect with them over stories. And that's what Annalie is here to talk with us today about. So welcome, Annalie. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yay. So full disclosure, Annalie and I are actually very dear friends. And (laughs) (laughs) so this will be uh, a little bit like friends talking about their favorite books to teach. So as you know, I like to start all of my interviews off with the same question. And that is how did you become a musician? What's the origin story there? That's a great question. And I I have an origin story that I think my mom would be like, I don't know how true that is. But this is how I recall <laughs> my musician origin story. It's your truth. Um, right, right. So when I was like four or five, I have this vivid memory of being in the car with my mom driving, I don't know, somewhere. And she was like, it was probably in the summer and she was looking ahead to fall. And she was like, what do you think? Like, would you rather do dance lessons or would you rather do piano lessons? And I vividly remember being like, well, I'm already a very good dancer. I have a lot of dance skills (laughs) and so probably I should take piano lessons. And so that's like my origin story. And that's hilarious to look back on. Like I am not a dancer in any way, shape or form. So, you know, I probably could have used some dance lessons, which I did end up taking in the end. And my mom's like, I never would have not let you take piano lessons, which is where the story breaks down. Like I'm like, I vividly remember being like, it's one or the other. Anyways, so started piano lessons, started with music for young children and really liked that. And then moved to Royal Conservatory and just always, I don't know, I just you know somewhat a musical family but just we took music lessons and that's what we did and I have a sister who's two years younger than me and she also was in lessons and so we did lots of music making together and then yeah it was just kind of a no-brainer once I got past that initial dancer or musician question it was like yeah of course I'm gonna do music and keep doing music and we never I never really thought about quitting lessons or anything like that you know I applied to one kind of more like social work program for university but that was, I don't even know why, like I wasn't going to do social work. I knew I wanted to do a music degree. So yeah, it just kind of all came together. There wasn't one like aha moment or anything like that. It was, 
it was pretty like a no-brainer for me from the get-go. And then I feel very lucky that I was in a setting where that was able to be the case, where like my family could afford music lessons and even just little things like I could afford audition fees to apply to music schools and those kinds of things. So as much as it was a no-brainer, I also recognized that I was very much nurtured to be a musician. Um, And that was really important too. And I wouldn't be where I am without many, many musical mentors who went above and beyond. And that was just like a, a huge gift. So a mixture of like me just kind of going with the flow and then also just also knowing that I was very much supported in that path Mm -hmm. from like a very young age. And that was really influential, I think. Yeah, you really had that environment that fostered the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. So you are also a picture book author yourself, which is what we're going to talk about today. So fun. And I know you present research on music picture books. So can you let our audience know, like, how did that all get started? Why research on music picture books? Why music picture books? Yeah, totally. Um, So actually, it was, as all things are going back to school, (laughs) uh, it was related to a coursework. So the first semester of my PhD, I took a course on feminist theories, a professor who was really passionate about picture books, and she gave us a creative assignment option. She was like, you can write an essay if you want, or you can do a creative project. And just like, we can chat about that. And I never take the creative project option. I don't think of myself as creative in that way. I'm always just like, I'll just write an essay but for whatever reason I was like I think I'm gonna do a creative project and I think a picture book on women in music would be like a really good crossover from my interests outside of class with this class so I started writing the ABCs of women in music and that professor really like supported the project and really liked how it came together and said I should kind of look into getting it published which is a really complicated process and not straightforward it's really hard to get a book published it's just like a tough industry to break into and I've had lots of people since be like how do you do it? What's the hack? And it's like, I don't there's no hack. Kind of just I think some of it is luck to a certain extent and Mm -hmm. and just working hard on your product. So that's how that kind of started was just being in a setting where we were thinking about ideas of feminism and our prof was supportive of creative ideas and and liked talking about picture books. And so then I submitted it to a few publishers and it was picked up by GIA, which is based out of Chicago. They have like a sacred music branch and a music education branch. And I don't know if it I I have connected with their sacred music branch quite a bit over the years, more related to my kind of other work and research and so I sometimes I'm like well I think I had a bit of a foot in the door through that and I think that Mm -hmm. is helpful but they were interested in it so my colleague and friend Haoon King she illustrated it which is really really lovely so cool to work with a friend on that and it just kind of came together in that way but it definitely was not straightforward to get it published and I'll be the first to say that there were definitely publishers that rejected it and that's just like a normal thing with these kinds of things and it's a pretty niche book so I get that too it's not as like flexible as some it's pretty clearly about women in music so uh, it was good to have a music education publisher that where that kind of aligned with their values Mm -hmm. and it's always so dependent on like what does the market need at that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. right like it might be a really great book at a wrong time and that's why the publisher is as rejecting it and you're right like rejection in the publishing industry is just part of the game totally I think it's also increasingly we're aware that publishers are looking for people with platforms and Mm -hmm. so that's really tough I mean it's part of commercialization of the industry and you know like there's just an expectation like how many Twitter followers do you have how many Instagram followers do you have and like I think my you know 230 author Instagram account followers are excellent but it's not (laughs) the like 40,000 that they're looking for and so like there's just it's just tough it's hard and and it takes some perseverance I think for sure 
Yeah, no, I, I really agree with you. So now that you're doing workshops on music picture books at conferences, are there some that really stand out to you? Like, have you been able to sort of break into that field after publishing your your book? How does that sort of look and how did that affect the research that you're doing on, on picture books? So yeah, as soon as I started writing my picture book, I was like, I was like, surely there is an ABCs of women in music, like, I'm sure that picture book exists. And I looked for it. And there was not one. So that's partly also why I was like, okay, I think there is a gap in the market. And so then I started just looking around for other music picture books, which was the beginning of the end of all of my extra spending money, <laughs> um, because yeah. I just buy them all. <laughs> so I have- so many um, now and they're not um, like what's unique about my ABCs is it's like a collection of a bunch of different women and there's a few like that there's a great one about women on Broadway so there's at least one about black women the one tagline is like black women who sang the ranch music history so it's kind of also an anthology of like a few different people but I just started collecting and then being like I think this is an amazing resource and also because you and I Olivia did a project where we looked at um, what resources music educators have to help uphold anti-racism in their music studios and a lot of teachers fall under resourced and so increasingly I was like I think music picture books are an exceptional way to broaden the range of styles that we teach do an alternate history of music not just looking at like the quote greats unquote you know of like Bach Mm -hmm. Beethoven but looking at like Joni Mitchell and Manuel Mozart and whoever else it is and so between kind of my own collection growing and realizing that there's this need for uh, especially private music instructors but educators of all kind to have more access to resources on anti-racism music I kind of started building my collection just talking about it more. So the last presentation I did was at the Ontario Music Educators Association uh, just a few weeks ago. And I just like packed a full suitcase of books and set them up. And it was awesome (laughs) to just chat with educators about like, which books are you using? And I mean, I think I have a big collection. One local music teacher came up to me and was like, I have 600 music picture books on my shelves in my classroom. Oh my word. That's amazing. But I still had some she didn't know about, which was cool. <laughs> I'm sure she has a ton I don't know about. So just cool to chat with people about like, how are they using music picture books? And then also to kind of flesh out a framework for using them. One of the things I think is really important is to communicate to children that the story is not, story as we see it presented is not the like objective truth. And there are other aspects of the story that we don't see. So like, what do we think went on behind the scenes of this story? What else, what else can we find out about the person in this story? Like we're reading about Aretha Franklin. We've got, you know, 32 pages of excellent material, but what else is there? Like what else wasn't talked about in the book? So just to kind of make sure that kids know that these are not the one true story about this person. There's a bunch of stories about women in music and whoever it is that we're reading about in the picture book. One of the books I love is I Am Mozart 2, The Lost Genius of Maria Anna Mozart. It just came out about Nanaro Mozart. And in the back, um, the author has an author's note about kind of taking what we know about a person, but then adding the details that we can kind of guess at to flesh out the story. And I think that's a really helpful thing for kids to read if they're old enough or for teachers to kind of portray to their students is like, this isn't a biography or an autobiography. This is like a story and there's things in the story that we are guessing at too. So just to make sure that students who are reading these books have a sense of the limitations of storybooks as well as like the ways they're so excellent. So that's one of the things I talk about. And then just I'm really passionate about having a diverse bookshelf of music Mm -hmm. picture books. So musicians from all around the world through a range of time periods doing a range of styles, different kinds of instrumentalists. We have representation of queer folks in music. It's a whole kind of range in some of those areas. It's hard to find. I know 
know in Canada, we have a real lack of resources on Indigenous folks making music, mm-hmm. um, Indigenous Canadian music. There's not a lot of that with picture books. So there's, you know, there's definitely areas that we could use more. But I think that, you know, we're always getting more. And so it's exciting to see kind of new horizons in the music picture book industry as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And you had mentioned the research that we had done and music teachers feeling that they were maybe under-resourced in terms of addressing it. And I love how you and I, when we worked on that project together, the materials that I sort of created out of it targeted older students and older audiences and yours very much targeted the younger end of the spectrum. So then we were able to contribute to that. And then also like you've been doing, fleshing out the research around that. Who are other people that are doing similar work and how can we elevate and point to their work? Because I know on your author page that you also uplift a lot of other creators who are writing awesome music picture books. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a really cool kind of community of folks working at Music Picture Books. And I, I am not the expert. Like I think Music Room Reads, if that's what yes, yeah. you want to write down, is just like an excellent resource for finding new Music Picture Books. There is really like a community of folks working at this, which is great to be able to highlight and to learn about this together. Yeah. Music Library Box is also another excellent great one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which your book was featured in. Yes, it was. Yes. Yes. She does a subscription box where once a month you'll get a box that has like a picture book and then activities that go along with it. So there's often a kind of craft, there's often worksheets, you might get a musical instrument that accompanies the book. And so yeah, she did she did a box on the ABC's Women in Music, which is so fun, especially for educators who are kind of looking for like a little something extra. It's really reasonably priced, I think. And so good ideas, incentive. And... That's awesome. So you had already, we've talked about it lots, but like you wrote one of my favorite music picture books which is the abcs of women in music and i often introduce that on the first lesson when i'm doing like an introductory lesson with meeting a potential new student and it's so funny how my students like will still talk about it like it's only been out the book's been out for a year i've had just a few new students that have started since then do you remember when we read that book about all of the women and i was like i do i do Oh, that's awesome. And and just seeing the wonder and that comes out of that. I just, I love it. So you also have a lot of resources that go Mm -hmm. along with this book. So can you tell us more about those bonus materials and what's available with the picture book. Yeah, so the back of the ABCs of Women in Music has two pages that are just kind of fill-in worksheets for students. So they're in, they're the last two pages of the book, but they're also available as PDFs on GIA's website. So if you put in Google ABCs of Women in Music GIA, you'll see it. So it's like, I can name Women in Music and it has students kind of go on a scavenger hunt, like who's one DJ in the book? Who's one pop star? Who's one composer? Who's one, or can you find an ensemble ensemble because there's a few ensembles in the book so just kind of has students become extra familiar instead of just like passively hearing Mm -hmm. hearing it they're actively kind of going back through and and looking for folks or like it it prompts them to say who their favorite women in music is um, which is really sweet so it's kind of fun to hear who they'll say sometimes someone from the book but it's often like my mom my aunt my music teacher which is really lovely so yeah just a way for them to kind of actively engage with that a little bit more and then also on the website yeah so you can print that off as a pdf if you have a classroom of 30 kids and you want to have them all do that Mm -hmm. you can do that there's also a playlist of a song for each of the women in the book and so 
that's kind of a fun thing to do some like active listening. And I've gone through and made sure that they're child appropriate songs, which is helpful to make sure that those are going to be good for a classroom. Uh, and then there's also a coloring sheet that the illustrator Hone did, which is fun too, if you want to have the students color that in. And it just says music is for everyone, which is a bit of a tagline of the book, just recognizing that women uh, music is for women and all genders. Um, yeah, I love it. So fun. <laughs> so I know that you use a lot of picture books in your studio. Could you give us some insight on how private music teachers can incorporate music picture books as part of our music lesson curriculum for young students? Yeah, so what I do, and what I do with them has kind of evolved, but currently what I do, um, my students each have a like a binder that I write their notes in and I do like a custom sheet where I write you know like what are the scales we're working on what are the pieces they can track their practicing and then then at the bottom every week I'll give them a new picture book and at the bottom of their lesson sheet there's questions that they answer every week about the picture book that they've read so it'll be like what are three things about the music in the book and what's a challenge that someone in the book faced with their music making and so often having them fill that out is a way to start kind of harder conversations <laughs> a lot of the books that we read not a lot some of them will talk about but things like gatekeeping in music institutions or racism in music. And so by the time we talk about it, they've already kind of reflected on it. And it's a way to kind of have an entry point into talking about racism in music, which is one of the things that we, you know, set out to do with our project, you and me, was give people ways into these conversations because it's it can feel awkward to kind of get to a lesson and be like, let's talk about racism in music today. We yeah. need some structure. These are hard, sensitive conversations and we need to approach them with sensitivity. And so I love music picture books for being able to kind of plant the seeds for some of these conversations that are important to have but not straightforward all the time and so yeah my students will fill in that section often for books which is one really good thing often will listen to a piece by a student and again I tailor this to each of my different individual students mm -hmm. um, one student in particular absolutely loves listening to the music of whoever we read about and if I don't get to it in a lesson he'll be like we're not done yet we have to do that <laughs> um, so if we're reading about Nina Simone we'll listen to Nina Simone on YouTube Mm -hmm. um, and like talk about some of the things that we hear, use words to describe the music that we're listening to. And it's just a way to kind of apply what we read about in the book and kind of bring it to life through listening or watching, depending on who it is. Students love watching a video of the person performing or an interview with them. If there's like a short interview, that's kind of child level appropriate. Yeah, that's, that's mostly what I do, having them kind of reflect on it. Then we have conversations and often we'll kind of watch a video. That's primarily how I use them. But I also will often divide them into units. My students just finished a unit not really related to the kind of like diversity biographical books that I focused on but my students just finished a unit on how music and how sound works so I have quite a few books on like the origins of notated music about how sound works what's the like scientific process of how we listen to things what happens with the vibrations and so just kind of the range of how how mu how we came to understand music as we know it today and so then we'll do other kind of different activities around listening and that kind of thing depending on what the unit is and they'll kind of like dive into a few different books for that unit so it's just kind of a way to add some extra focus to our lessons. I love having just kind of a routine that we do every lesson. So having a book that we're talking about every week, I find really helpful for structuring things and just adds another layer of, yeah, adds more depth to the, even yeah. the pieces that we're working on. It lets us have reference points for like, oh, this sounds kind of jazzy. We've learned about jazz musicians in the past or whatever it is.
I mean, too, it's a great stepping stone into music theory, music history, and it gives parents that sort of connection point with their child so they can sit down with them and they're learning about the music as well. I often have parents who are like, I'm not musical. How do I practice with my child? And I was like, most importantly, it's that you're, you know, valuing the music that they're making and you're sitting with them and that you can also sort of have that connection piece. So I encourage like the music listening and reading with them and things like that, because it gives that really easy connection point that you don't have to know anything about music to be able to do this with your kid. Totally. And I think often younger siblings benefit too. You know, if I'm teaching a six-year-old, but there's a three-year-old, they love the books. And that's just like a good entry point for them into thinking about music. And they might not get to it soon, but they're just kind of hearing and observing. And that's really fun too. So it can be a family activity, which is awesome. Totally. And it's, it is because of you that I now use music picture books with my, (laughs) with my young students. I don't have too many young students, but I have more this year than I have in, in a long time. And so I've been using some picture books as part of my curriculum. So that's been lots of fun. What are some of your top picture books that you use in your studio? And what are some concepts that they help teach? Okay, I have lots of favorite music picture books. Um, one of the ones that I love that I already mentioned is I Am Mozart Two: The Lost Genius of Maria Anna Mozart. So it just talks about um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's sister, Maria Anna, who is in my ABC's book as Nanarol Mozart. That was a nickname. You could go Maria Anna or Nanarol. Both incredibly talented musicians, but uh, obviously just given gender restrictions, she did not have the flourishing and kind of long-lasting legacy that Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart had. So that one is by Audrey Aids and illustrated by Adelina Lirias and just really good conversation starter on the ways our kind of music making experiences can differ even if our circumstances are very similar. Another one I love is Joni the Lyrical Life of Jenny Mitchell by Selena Alko. Just talks about Joni Mitchell's career as just like an absolute folk music icon. My students love this one. Sometimes I expect them to love a book and they don't love it or I don't know that they'll love a book and they do or you know whatever and they absolutely love this one. So it's just got really beautiful illustrations and talks about her career and some of the obstacles that she faced and this is a really fun one to listen with listening to Joni Mitchell while we kind of read the book I I really enjoy that one Making Their Voices Heard The Inspiring Friendship of Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe is by Vivian Kirkfield and illustrated by Aliana Harris What I love about this is kind of talking about allyship. It talks about how Marilyn Monroe was so inspired by Ella Fitzgerald and Ella was kind of like a a role model for Marilyn, but then Ella was not able to perform in some venues because of her race and Marilyn used some of her power in the industry that she had as a white woman to try to elevate Ella's voice. And I really love that it's just a story of allyship and Mm -hmm. being able to, yeah, lift each other up and recognize our privilege where we have it. So I really like that one as a conversation. Again, kind of about how our musical experience Experiences differ, but also how we have power and we can use that to help other people make music and have their voices heard, as the title says. Nina, a story of Nina Simone is by oh, I love that one. Yeah, and Kristen Robinson. It's a really, really beautiful one. Talks about Nina Simone's story and also kind of classical music gatekeeping, not getting into, you know, not making it through the passing the audition she was doing is one of the kind of stories in it and just about how there are expectations on what good music sounds like and how we can blow those expectations open. And it talks about her experience wondering if she was not going to be able to have the career she wanted to have because she was mm-hmm. black and just the, the limitations she faced. So also really powerful conversation starter. And then listen how Evelyn Glennie, a deaf girl, changed music by Shannon 
Understanding oh. Soccer is another really beautiful one. I really love that one for talking about listening, but also how we make music in a way that makes sense for us and how we can respect different ways of making music. It's a really powerful entry point into talking about ableism in music. And Evelyn Glennie, if folks don't know, is a deaf percussionist. And so she uses vibrations to kind of feel the music, but, you know, struggled with people believing in her throughout her career. And so it just kind of talks about some of those things. And so I also really love that book. So there's so many I could keep going forever, but I hope you kind of get the theme that's going throughout of um, these stories that are entry points into hard conversations that it can be hard to know how to start that with a seven year old. But then once we've read a book and they've, you know, maybe they read it with their family and we've talked about it and we've watched a video, it's like, oh, now I can sort of maybe start to talk about ableism and music and we can start to unpack that even if we're not, you know, even if I'm not using the word ableism with a seven year old talking about like different experiences of making music yeah. and respecting people who make music differently and those kinds of things. Yeah, even uh, a couple years ago, I guess it was last year, I did a project with my students on we did piano music for one hand and we did a whole recital dedicated to that. And we talked about all month, you know, preparing it, we did it as quick study pieces. So easy pieces that that they could sort of power through as etudes. But then we talked about how there are different ways that we can make music. And some of them were like, well, how am I going to play with just one hand? And I said, well, there are lots of pianists that do this, you know, and we can show videos and it's an easy entry point. Like you said, you don't have to say we're going to do a unit on ableism in music, right. but that we're showing our students that there are all sorts of ways that we can make music. And so then if we do have students with physical disabilities that they feel welcome and that they can do just as much as the rest of the students, they just do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. So it's just such a, a helpful way to start talking about some of those yeah. things, right? That's beautiful. So do you have any more picture books that you're like, this is a great one to read with your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews or siblings over the holidays? Do you have like any favorites that you're like, add this one to your list? Oh, there's so many. So yes, I do have more that people can, can <laughs> more recommendations for folks, of course. And um, one of the ones that I just got recently, I mean, many of the ones I'm highlighting are fairly new, but Playing at the Border, a story of Yo-Yo Ma is a really, really beautiful one. It's really beautifully mm -hmm. illustrated and just talks about classical music as kind of healing, which is really lovely. So that's kind of a fun one to, to read. And it's based on a, you know, real person too, who's very much still active in his performing career. And so fun to watch videos of him playing as well. Drum Dream Girl, How One Girl's Courage Changed Music is a great conversation about traditional gender roles and in instruments. And this is a, a girl who wanted to play drums, but in her culture, that was not acceptable for girls to do that. And so it's kind of her story of getting to be able to play the drums that she wanted to play, but it's written in a really, really engaging way. It's a little bit more kind of poetic or rhythmic than mm -hmm. some. So it has that kind of biographic element, but it's really engaging for younger kids just in the prose of it. And it's also, I would say, one of the most like if you google music picture books drum dream girl is kind of yeah. one of the top hits that comes up so it's kind of a classic and just really really powerful so highly recommend drum dream girl and there's others i mean i have like a whole kind of growing list of books that get at gender roles and instruments bravo and jolly is another one about a girl who wants to play tabla but all the boys in her well she's in a class a tabla class with all boys and so how she kind of like gets them to respect her as a female tabla player as well yeah another yeah. good one is uh tallulah plays the tuba yes yes that's yes. a fun one yeah there's so many fun ones the last one i pulled out is ada's violin the story of the recycled orchestra of paraguay which is really fun for just kind of talking about how we make music in different ways depending on what we have and you know i started this talking about privilege and music making and i think this is such a powerful example of the human perseverance 
of making music. So we, you know, I just talked about the unit on how music is made. We also have just finished a unit on orchestras and there's so many books on orchestras, but this is a good complement to the ones about just kind of like traditional classical music instruments and kind of how we uh, make those and how this one particular group overcame the odds and being able to perform orchestral music together. So many books, so many good ones could go on forever. <laughs> those are great recommendations. And so for our listeners, I will have everything linked in the show notes. So you can check them out of the library or pick up a copy over the holidays to read with the kids in your life. So Emily, what are some projects you're working on right now? Can we look forward to more picture books from you or? Yeah. So one of our big projects has been translating the ABCs of Illuminate Music into French. So stay tuned, um, hopefully for that coming out at some point. And that's been a really fun project. Um, I do have kind of like in the back of my mind, a project on Ethel Smythe and and her kind of like classic story is her being arrested for fighting for women's rights and was in prison and she wrote the March of the Women which was kind of this anthem for women in the suffragette movement and her kind of I think it was like her priest came to the prison to visit her after she was arrested and he found her conducting her fellow suffragettes in a, a rendition of this piece she didn't have a conducting baton so she was using a toothbrush as her baton which is just like such a such an awesome illustration of the power of women in music yeah so hopefully hopefully maybe at some point that will make it out there something else that I'm kind of have in the back of my mind um but also writing a dissertation so <laughs> we'll yeah, see yeah there's that <laughs> get out there in the next couple of years but definitely some projects kind of floating around so hopefully hopefully we'll get them up there I love it. So we're going to wrap up our convo with a few rapid fire questions. So no wrong answers. Just go with your gut. Can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician, which you sort of already answered for us in the beginning? I think um, there was one moment actually late in my undergrad when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after what master's degree did I want. And that summer I was working at a greenhouse and I was playing this Bach piece and I could not for four hours during my shift stop thinking about what fingerings would be best for the opening of this piece. <laughs> and I remember that as such a vivid moment of being like, okay, I think I'm quite passionate about this. <laughs> if that's like something I'm really focused on. And so that was kind of like a, a vivid moment of being like, yeah, yeah, this is something I I think I care about. I love that. A favorite piece or song to perform? My second year master's recital, which never came to be because of COVID, I was supposed to be playing the Cocktail Suite by Dana Suisse. Yes. And it's such a fun set, just like different musical representations of five different cocktails, which is so fun. And so I love that set um, and love playing it when I get the chance. So it's definitely a fun one uh, to listen to. And if you haven't listened to it, listen to Sarah Davis Buchner, who's an amazing pianist, play it. She has an amazing recording of it. So that's my, that would probably be my top. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that set of pieces. I heard Sarah Davis Buchner play it when I was my third or fourth year undergrad. She came to Western and gave a recital and played that set. And I was like, I need to play it. I need to. And I, I did. I, I, went, I went and bought the book. Because I also encountered it at that concert at Western. I feel like we've never talked about that we were both at that concert. I feel like we didn't know each other and wouldn't know each other for no, I know, a but couple I just years. Realized, I mean, of course you were there. And I was yeah. there. Random. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. 
Have you been given bad career advice? And what was it? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been given probably I've been given so much amazing career advice. And also definitely some that I did not follow. And I'm glad that I did not follow. Um, I think one of the I don't know if I could like pinpoint one person who gave me this advice, but the kind of general idea I had that like the kind of performance is everything mentality that can become really prominent during an undergrad and or a master's in piano performance. And I had to kind of undo that for myself being like, yes, I love piano performance, but I also love a lot of different things. And piano performance isn't like the greatest one of all of them. Yeah. Um, so just like allowing myself to have different loves <laughs> um, and performance can be one of them, but it doesn't need to be the only thing that I'm pursuing within music. And that didn't come from one particular person. That was just kind of a narrative that I found mm-hmm. myself that like performance stops everything else, which isn't true. So yeah, not bad advice, but something that somehow I picked up along the way that I kind of had to undo at various points. Yeah. What is a good musical career or career advice that you could pass on to other musicians? I think cast your net wide, do a lot of different things that you love. Don't pigeonhole yourself too quickly. Um, it has been so life-giving for me to be writing a dissertation on US megachurch culture and women in music, and then writing an ABC to women in music that has nothing to do with that. And just like doing different things. And so don't be afraid to take on fun projects that are sort of outside the purview of what you spend most of your days doing, but are energizing to you. And then I think like, you just never know where this will lead. I had an amazing musical mentor in my undergrad who was always just kind of like taking on fun new projects and being like if they all work out I'm screwed because I have too many of them but hopefully they <laughs> won't all work out and I'll you know be good to go and I kind of love that I do that too like I take on lots of projects they won't all work out some of them will and that's good so I think definitely don't be afraid to take on lots of different things in lots of different directions and just see what unfolds yeah you might be surprised where where your path leads exactly what music are you listening to right now I am listening to Taylor Swift's new album of course mm-hmm. um, feeling you know emotionally conflicted about about how that whole ticket process went down but nonetheless she's a powerhouse and it's a great album so that's what I'm listening to <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well thanks so much for coming on loud and clear and can you let our audience know where they can find you and keep up with the exciting things you're doing Yes, you can follow. Probably the best thing, I do have a Twitter, but I feel like Twitter's a weird thing to be promoting right now since it's maybe falling apart. Um, <laughs> I, probably the best thing is my Instagram, Annalie LT author, A-N-N-E-L-I is how you spell Annalie. And I post there sometimes about the things that I'm up to related to music picture books. So definitely give me a follow and I'll follow you back at Annalie LT author. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. And that is a wrap on this episode with Annalie Leptisen. Be sure to give Annalie a follow on social media and tell her thanks for being on the show. That is also a wrap for the podcast in 2022. I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off to rest and recuperate with family and friends. This year, I also became a student again, and I'm working on my PhD on top of podcasting, teaching, adjudicating, performing, etc. So it's been an exciting last semester, but I'm really looking forward to a much needed break over the holidays. And I have some very exciting interviews lined up for 2023s. I want to give a big shout out to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra and all of the work they're doing for sponsoring this podcast. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do this work with my hometown orchestra. It means the absolute world to me. As always, be sure to check out those tickets for the new year, especially if you need some last minute gift ideas. Concert tickets are always a great idea. As always, you can watch concerts by subscribing to concertstream.tv. Be sure to check that out over the holiday season. I know I am. And I'm wishing you all a wonderful holiday season with your loved ones. I hope you enjoy some good music, some good food, and good company. Happy New Year, folks. 